Hello and welcome to Esports Boom. I believe we are on episode four. Uh, I am Anton Ferraro and joining me as always is Maurice Eisenman. We're here to talk about everything that has happened in the world of esports from the business perspective in the last week. Maurice, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, man. Coming back from a good Labor Day weekend, so I'm, I'm refreshed. How about you? Pretty good. You know, it's uh, uh, working on a bunch of different projects and uh, just really excited to dig into all the news that came out today. Today was actually a really busy day. We recorded the show on a Thursday, for those of you listening at home, by the way. Yeah, we, we have a very quick turnaround. We record like Thursday afternoon and then Thursday night it's usually edited. Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of news in... Uh, for those of you listening, a little behind-the-scenes look, we make a, uh, like a Word document with most of the big headlines, and I think uh, a good 50% of them at least were, were added today. In the last hour? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so what do you want to cover first? Well, one of the, one of the news items that, um, that broke through today is about the EULCS and their new format. Um, so that's really big news for me. Uh, coming from Europe with a soccer background, I see a lot of similarities. Uh, just to go through what's happened. So the EULCS will be split into four regions. Um, event space for those regions um, have not been done, so, but we already do know the cities. So those cities are London, Paris, and Berlin and Barcelona. So uh, probably four of the biggest markets. Um, the top two teams of East Domestic Leagues will automatically qualify into the Greater League. The third and fourth place teams will compete in a play-in, while fifth and sixth places will play in an open qualifier. Similar to the Champions League, for those of us who follow European soccer. Um, and then, actually, just like half an hour ago, Jacob Wolf once again broke a story. And then he said that um, some of the teams of the EULCS right now already had a set a preferred city, so a city that they would would take if they end up staying in a EU LCS. So Fnatic, G2, Misfits and Splice have asked to play in London. Unicorns of Love, FC Schalke and Team Rocket have chosen Berlin. H2K and Giants Gaming have Barcelona and Team Vitality have Paris. So that's a lot, a lot to um, to think about. So, so what do you think, Anton? So Riot operates esports out of... Um by each region. So there's a North American team and there's a European team. And the fact that the European team has chosen to operate the European League in a European structure, it's interesting. They're trying to make their league familiar to those that are coming from traditional sports. I think what's risky in this scenario is that the North American value proposition is such a better investment. Um, You know, there's no relegation. Whereas in this league, you know, there could be relegation. I also think that it's interesting where if you compare North America to Europe, North America I think is right now pegged at around 12 slots, and uh, Europe by this count will have 24. Rumor has it that there were over 100 plus teams that applied for the North American LCS. So I think that this might be an opportunity for Riot to be like, hey, you know, we couldn't squeeze you into this North American thing, but if you support the European one, we may be able to squeeze you into the North American one later. So I think that strategically this could be like a funnel to identify and test team owners and organizations to see if, if and when Europe switches to relegation or if certain uh, franchises have the necessary requirements to participate in the NALCS. 
Yeah, well, I think you make a good some good points, particularly your last point about uh, how the NLCS got a lot of applicants. So it's no surprise that I think a lot of the EU LCS team applied applied to the NALCS as well. I mean, just if you take Splice for example, um, while it's not, I don't know officially whether or not they applied for the NALCS with their, you know, Boston headquarters with TD Garden as an investor. It's no surprise that they probably uh, applied for for uh, a New York for a North American spot. So. A lot of these teams have made multi-million dollar investments into League of Legends and maybe even NALCS teams. If they apply for a spot and end up not getting it, they need to have something else which, which can continue their investment in and which can you know justify all the money they put into it. So at least the EULCS has potential. Um, while they talk about multi-year contracts as opposed to franchise spots, in some of the, the fine writing, I do think there's going to be you know, ref share, they're going to share um, some of the profits of the league. Um, you, there is no relegation, so the big thing is you probably have to make it to the big tournament, maybe to get some good prize money and to get uh, a lot of extra benefits like TV uh, rights, money, similar to how they do it in the Champions League. Uh, so it's probably going to be a, a big cash cow for them if they make it. However. It is not. There is no relegation. So if you end up sixth um, or fourth and you don't make it through the qualifiers, you just don't go into that final tournament. Hmm. But you still stay into the league. Uh, I didn't realize that the relegation was limited. Well, that that's actually my uh, pretty good step in, in the right direction. Um, did you get a chance to read that H2K letter that came out earlier this week? I did not. Can you uh, talk to us through yeah, it? Yes. So H2K was a, is a team that's part been participating in the EU LCS for a while, and um, right before this announcement came out, so I'm pretty, sh uh, pretty sure H2K was already aware of this plan, they basically said that they are losing millions of dollars a year participating in the EU LCS, and they said that we will no longer field a team and subsidize rides in the seven-figure amount for League of Legends. Um, this move, while in the right direction, I feel is not enough. I think that these teams are probably expecting more than just, you know, regionality and, you know, a slight shift in the structure of these tournaments. H2K was pissed. They came out with a public letter bashing Riot. Um, you know, I... Riot subsidizes player salaries to a minimal degree. Most of these salaries have ballooned to the point where, you know, that Riot subsidy is negligible. Um, I really think that uh, the EU LCS needs to, you know, do more. Um, what, what else you're seeing is a lot of the best players are moving to North America because those teams have the budgets to accommodate those, uh, the needs of those players and the wants of those players, the salary requests. Um, you know, I look at this announcement, it's a move in the right direction. I do think that it's too little. Um, I agree. Just looking at the two types of uh, systems, so this is very comparable to uh, how it happens in traditional sports. So the New York for the American leagues, you know, if the American league, uh, if you're talking about you know whenever it's basketball, baseball, ice hockey, American football, anything that Americans are obsessed with, soccer is an exception. They tend to be the best in the world. Why? Because you have you know 300 million whatever potential fans who can who can uh, 
who can supply you with uh, with a lot of revenue that gives you the opportunity to buy into players and uh, get the highest talent. And I think we're going to see that as well. And and if you if you have a German market which is very interested in esports, but you're talking about not even a quarter of the number of people um, that could be potential fans. And obviously, esports is an international sport, so you you could a German league could have fans from all around the world. But there's a big chance that that um, most of the production, for instance, would go to a German language league, uh, a German language broadcast, and you know all these types of localized events that give extra incentives for people in the in in the in the country to watch these games, and you have a lot less um, of a revenue pool to tap from. Yeah, um, I think I one comment and then a question for you. So I think it's really interesting that you're seeing London already have four teams. You're seeing Berlin have three teams. You're seeing Barcelona with two, and you have uh, Paris with one. I think it's the the team that's in Paris is probably going to steamroll everybody because they're the only team, and then you're, you're you're basically looking for five other competitors. So I think it was a great move by Vitality by basically being like nobody wants Paris. Screw it, we'll take it. The other question I have is a is for you is it seems that Europe or EULCS is trying to put together a localized league. How does this approach compare to the Overwatch League? How do you what do you like about this and what do you not like about it? Well I don't know about the exact details because I don't know if, if there's gonna be a central state stadium that they're playing from. Um, what I like it, about this approach is that um, there's probably going to be one central location because they're talking about London. They're not talking about England, for instance. Um, so I, I think that's going to be very interesting to see. Uh, people will probably be able to just go into, you know, go to London every weekend for a game. Uh, it probably will drive some good traffic. Um, I think this is very, very interesting. I don't think you can do this with Overwatch because um, League is just so popular has such a big following that you can have 24 teams. With Overwatch, as of right now, you know, maybe to make a, end up with about 10 teams probably for the whole world. It's just maybe 10 years from now Overwatch can do something like this where they kind of have um, regional-based regional leagues or, or they might have regional-based leagues in a big international tournament. As of right now, this doesn't make sense for Overwatch. No, and I agree. I think Riot is leveraging their advantages, and I think that they're also going for localized markets, um, and I think that they it's a good direction to experiment in. Yeah, and I a, actually have a question for you, Anton. So, what it seems to me is I think London, from a sponsorship perspective, will have an extremely unfair advantage, because you're talking about English language speaking. Um, besides that, London is a big international city, but arguably Paris is comparable. I just think if I'm a sponsor and I'm looking to break into an international market as opposed to just England, I'm going to go with the with the London regional team because they're going to probably draw a lot of American viewers, probably a lot of English-speaking viewers. Um, not as much Paris and Berlin. God, I am super excited for the Berlin hub. I mean, Berlin right now has an $18 billion tax surplus. So you're going to get so many government subsidies for esports. You know, Angela Merkel's all over that thing right now, all over esports. Um, you know, the, you have so many auto brands that are based in Germany. I, you know, I really think that Berlin, you know, they do sports really well. Like, if you look, what was it, the last World Cup? It was like, I mean, Germany destroyed Brazil. You had uh, the UEFA finals two years ago. It was two German teams. I mean, Berlin does sports right. They have 
their economy is great. They have a lot of brands that you know are based out of there. Uh, you know, I'm really excited to see how Berlin is going to crush the other three regions. When you just mentioned soccer, I think you mentioned a really interesting point. So I think these localized kind of city city based hub leagues give a perfect entry point for traditional sports teams to get into league. Um, I can just imagine how much easier it is, and I, I, I used to did, I used to do some work with Bayern Munich. It's one of the biggest soccer teams in the world, the, uh, German Germany's biggest soccer team, and I can imagine just imagine how much easier the conversation becomes. Oh my you God, can, yeah. And if you look at what happened with Paris Saint Germain after they got relegated, like I, they basically said, "Oh my God, we have all these traditional teams that don't get it, that are confused by the structure." And what they did is they just optimized a funnel for all these teams to enter LCS. That's brilliant. All right, so on a scale of one to 10, uh, what do you rate this move? Probably a good nine. I think it's, it's, a, very, I think it's a very solid move and it, and it shows that, it shows once again that I've, I've more faith in, into riots uh, going on with the League of Legends than I have in Blizzard with Overwatch. Cool, so what's the next story you wanna go over? Well, one really interesting story, which I would love to hear your thoughts about from a production perspective, is Twitch's introduction of extensions. Um, so, those of you who don't know, extensions are interactive overlays and panels that are developed by third parties. Um, so, just to give some examples, it can be heat maps, uh, data overlays, mini games, uh, leaderboards. One of the cool things about Hearthstone, which I love, is an, is an overlay that enables the, the, the viewer to actually go hover over with their mouse on each card and it will show the description of the card. Um, so all these things, it basically opens up the API to, to fans in the community to create um, interesting additions to Twitch. And I think this is great. I think it is the future of, of community live streaming. I mean, absolutely. Uh, when, we, when I was over at Azubu, this was a feature that we were experimenting with. You know, we had a, uh, you know, we were pretty far along in the production. There is a lot of potential for it. Um, so, if you look, first of all, if you look at esports and traditional sports, traditional sports are still primarily distributed on TV. If you look at esports, they're traditionally primarily distributed on digital mediums. With digital mediums, you have the ability to interact. Um, and I think that's a great differentiator, and that's why esports and, uh, and media that's distributed digitally is going to crush TV. Um, I think that Twitch opening up their platform to be more developer friendly is a great and strategic move. Um, if you look at the battles between Facebook and MySpace in the late 2000s, the point in the battle where Facebook crushed MySpace was when they created a developer friendly you know, ecosystem. And all of a sudden, you had companies like Zynga developing Farmville, and you had, uh, I'm trying to think of other examples, you know, I think uh, Instagram pivoted, was a, was a feature that was developed for Facebook. Somehow there was some integration with Facebook, at least. Um, so the moment that you start developing, supporting developers, your platform can beat out all the competition. Twitch doesn't have much competition, but it'd be great to see the the growth that they'll experience from this. Um, I think heat maps are going to be great. You know, I think that um, selling items through live streams is going to be a huge revenue driver. Um, you know, you're seeing advertising kind of go a little bit downhill. So you know, let's just put the item directly for sale and cut the and cut the streamer in on the action. Yeah. So just your last point was exactly what I wanted to talk about. I think just one of the extensions already makes all of it worthwhile. It's the Amazon extension. 
basically disenables streamers to uh, to recommend certain hardware or products that they're using. Um, so if you're a, if you're a, a streamer and you use a certain mic, you can say like, hey, we use X and X mic. I use this webcam, and you can just with one click, a viewer can 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 go on Amazon, can buy it. Um, this is incredible. This gives so many opportunities to get revenue, to uh, incentivize the streamer to actively promote uh, products that are on Amazon. It actively incentivizes the consumer not only to buy these products, but most likely to get Amazon Prime because I'm so sure they're going to integrate Amazon and Twitch Prime with this and give, ex and give extra discounts. What an amazing way to increase loyalty and to increase switching costs with your competitors. Yeah, um, so two of the other, so I see that Curse is also spawn, uh, involved with this. Um, so one of the liabilities is suppose you're a developer and you develop an amazing product for Twitch and one day Twitch comes to you and says, we will acquire you for X or we will spend X times 10 to replicate you and cut off your API access. That's terrifying. I mean, I think that as much as you start depending on these Twitch APIs to build your business, you know, the risks associated with basically being dependent on one platform for your revenue streams are terrifying. The other thing that I kind of saw on Twitter is that I saw a couple of the Twitch reps in the Streamlab uh, account uh, have a little discussion where I saw Streamlabs integrated um, some SoundCloud features and the Twitch reps are basically saying that like, oh no, based on this feature, you know, all the VODs are gonna be muted because you're using copyrighted music. So already you're seeing some, um, you know, lack of clarity between the developers and Twitch about how far these developers can go. Um, and you know, on Twitch's end, that's, you know, it's a liability. What if, you know, uh, some of these API accesses that API access that they're providing to these developers open them up for legal liabilities. Um, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Twitch moderates the extensions they approve. I mean, if you're discussing this openly on Twitter and you know yeah. it's a legal discussion, I mean, how how efficient is your moderating? That's true, um, but this is this is a bigger issue in general. So many streamers on Twitch don't realize that fair use doesn't apply if you use two minutes of a, of a copyrighted uh, music on your stream, it, it, fair use is a defense, fair use is not a, a legal reason that you can just use. So um, I think this is a whole bigger issue, but I'm excited about these extensions. And, but I'm also excited to see if, uh, if maybe a competitor will come up pretty soon. Uh, so I think that's a nice segue into a competitor for Twitch, uh, Facebook. You know, they're making their own moves in the streaming space right now. Um, they announced uh, that they will be distributing the Paladins Premier League. Uh, the Paladins Premier League uh, consists of 10 member organizations from WESA. Those are Envious, Fnatic, G2 Esports, Mouse Sports, Natus Vincere, Ninjas in Pajamas, Renegades, SK Gaming, Splice, Virtus Pro. Um, there will be a weekly Paladins show on Watch, which is the Facebook live streaming portal. And there will be integration with Facebook groups to scout out players. Um, so before I get into your thoughts, Mel, I think that there's two things I want to highlight. I want to highlight that Fnatic is a member. Fnatic uh, was very upset when they got snubbed from the Overwatch League. So now it's like, you know, they're throwing their full support behind Paladins. I think that's great. I think the other thing to make a note of is that SK Gaming, Virtuous Pro, and Natus Vincere are all in this. So what you're seeing is the three ES4 teams that are not in the Overwatch League and are not 
to my knowledge, in the EULCS, are now in this Paladins League. So ES Force has found a way to continue their esports efforts. I think that Facebook, um, yeah, I think Facebook is making a great move. And when you had uh, Paladins going up against Overwatch, I think it was two weeks ago they had events on the same weekend. Mm -hmm. Overwatch pulled 793,000 viewed hours. Uh, Paladins pulled 493. So they're not even that far behind Overwatch in terms of viewership. Mo, what are your thoughts? I think this is great. Um, Facebook has a very unique approach to how they how they see esports. They see it as a way to, um, first of all, increase viewership, but at the same time also create a community on Facebook surrounding this. Because a community is the most powerful tool to get someone to stick to your, to your social media. And um, one of the things they're doing, as you mentioned before, and they have done this in the past, they basically have all these Facebook groups, and these Facebook groups will be used to gain access to certain tournaments and, and certain parts. And it's a perfect way for a lot of these teams, uh, not all of them actually have a roster at the moment, to scout players, to find people that they, they want to get. So these communities are, are, are really good. Obviously, it's a great way to add extra content to watch, which is, a, like you said, it's their new like uh, video-on-demand platform. Um, I, I don't know if the viewership of Paladins will be that, that crazy, but it's a way to, if you gain a following that watches the live shows, you probably can get them to convert you know, a large amount of them to watch a, a weekly show where they can see all of their fans. And uh, I'm happy to see someone step up to, uh, to kind of fight against Twitch. Because I love Twitch and I'm so happy what they're doing. But I don't think it's healthy for any industry to just have one viewing platform. I agree. Uh, I mean, it's always nice to have competition because when there's competition, the consumer wins. Um, I think that there's an inter interesting parallel between this and something that happened about 10 years ago. So I'm going to go into a little bit of story time, and then I think that story will illustrate my point. So 10 years ago, you had something called the Championship Gaming League that came in and bought out a bunch of teams and put them in their league. So I think Complexity was purchased, 3D was a Team 3D was purchased, um, and the content was distributed on DirecTV. Um, in order to join this league, a lot of the teams had to make concessions. They had to give up their sponsors, and they had to basically pivot to the CGS model. Well, you're seeing that right now happen with a little bit with the Overwatch League, where you know the teams have to make new brands, they have to make this large investment into the league, and it's, there's a lot of echoes of what CGS did. One of the winners of CGS was a team called Evil Geniuses. Uh, Evil Geniuses basically was not invited to CGS. It was run by a guy named Alex Garfield. Uh, when all the sponsors were given up by Team 3D and Complexity, Alex Garfield went to them and said, oh, hey, can, do you guys want to sponsor us? We're not in CGS. So all, so all of a sudden, Evil Geniuses acquired all these sponsorships, and when CGS folded, they were the best-funded team. That was kind of cool. So what you're seeing is Paladins take an approach of, hey, we're not going to force esports into you know this hole or this you know shape that we need it to exist, and we're just going to let it exist however it wants. Um, so what you're seeing right now with Overwatch, Overwatch is a game you have to purchase. Um, it's a game that um, this is the second half of this point. It's you know the barrier of entry I think is fifty nine dollars right now. Paladins is free to play. The last time we had a, a battle of this level was with Han versus League of Legends. Han was, a, at the time, considered a much better game, and League of Legends was kind of like this weird little title that all of a sudden, you know, you could get for free. 
10 years later, Han is basically non-existent, and League of Legends rules the world. So because Paladins have this low barrier of entry, uh, and this basically, you know, it can, it can grow its user base much faster than Overwatch. Um, so I do think that you shouldn't sleep on Paladins. The other one that you should, like when comparing Overwatch versus Paladins, Paladins is owned by Hi-Rez, which is entirely owned by Tencent. And Tencent has distribution rights in China and marketing ch channels in China. This is a huge market. Tencent has a giant war chest. So if Tencent decides, hey, we're going to take Paladins from zero to 100, we're going to put money behind it, Activision Blizzard is going to have a rough time keeping up with that budget. Yeah, and I think just in general, Facebook is such a good move. And just to talk about your point with you earlier, your story time is that um, I get sick of this argument. I think it's a straw man argument, but people say, 10 years ago we tried this. You know, eight years ago we tried this and it failed miserably. When you're talking about regionality, and I might agree with some of the arguments, but not with this particular argument, why it's, it might fail. Esports is in such a different space now than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, let alone three years ago. I just don't like it that teams have to make concessions to be in the Overwatch League mm -hmm. that is strategically not to their benefit. Yes, I agree on that. I, 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 like we said last week, I don't think it's such a good move from a, from a team perspective. I understand it why Blizzard wants to do it. Um, what I like, I like seeing Wessa get more power. While obviously I'm a little, it's a little iffy with ESL's involvement, but I like it when teams can, can move as one unit and similar to the NFL, you know, can sell maybe sponsorships that go throughout WESA. So it can say like, oh, you know, if Coca-Cola wants to pay a lot of money, here are 10 teams in one league that right away you can sponsor and they all get revenue share and they all get kickback. Those things are great for the industry. Totally. It's just Coca-Cola will never sponsor Wisa because Bobby Kotick is on their board. <laughs> <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> Fair point. Yeah, do you have, a, do you have any other thoughts on, on Paladins? No, I feel like it's one of those games that people are kind of sleeping on. They're like, oh, it's an Overwatch knockoff. Yeah, it's an Overwatch knockoff. So was League of Legends. And League of Legends crushed Han. So, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how this Paladins thing will unfold. Um, I think Paladins is much more suited, or is embracing the platform distribution model much more than Overwatch is. Overwatch, you know, they're trying to still, you know, hey, we want games as a product revenue. Paladins is like, screw it, we just want user growth, we want to minimize churn, we want to, you know, uh, we care about the lifetime user value as opposed to the product sales. And one thing you said about China, free-to-play kills it in China. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then you said with Tencent's involvement, uh, Rocket League, for instance, I think is distributed by Tencent in China, and, the, and why it took a couple months for them to, to before they got, could be able to get distributed is because they had to change the game from a one-time buy and then you know buying a couple skins to being a completely free-to-play model, because Tencent knows that the best way to enter into the Chinese market is to just get this huge user base because there's so many users and if even a couple percent of those end up being paying customers, you make your money back tenfold. Yep. So this game makes perfect sense for a Tencent involvement um, from the game developer side all the way to the esports side. Yeah, no, I think I think they're uh, you know having a partner such as Facebook. You know, I mean, Facebook probably does not like Amazon, so yeah. I. 
they will be motivated to see this project succeed. Yeah, and then, you know, for our next story, this is one of those stories where I do not know, I have no expertise with this, but I know I know this is right up your alley. So E-League, you know, they, they just uh, released a press release today that they're having all these innovative technologies to enhance the viewing experience for the fans. So Anton, I'm going to let you go wild and, and, ex- and explain to me and our audience what exactly this is. So for those of you at home who are not familiar with E-League, E-League is a Counter-Strike or a video game league that is run by Turner Sports. Um, they came out about two years ago and have had some pretty relevant successes in the space. Uh, today they announced that they will incorporate biometrics to provide unparalleled insights into a player's reaction time and field of vision, an immersive virtual reality experience, and the use of advanced analytics. So let's go over these one by one. Um, so the player reaction time and field division is awesome. Uh, they're doing it in partnership with Toby. I'll link a video to a sample of their product, but it looks incredible. If you look back a couple of years at the first, into the progression of first-person productions for broadcast, one of the best innovations was this guide view where you could see as a spectator where all the players on the map were. So you basically see like the outlines of players. It made the game so much easier to follow. What Toby does is it basically shows a circle of where the player uh, who you're watching is currently looking. So you can basically see him make the decisions in real time. If it works as displayed, this is going to be incredible. You're going to basically be like, oh, he looked at the map and he decided to move because he looked at the map or the radar. Love it. It's awesome. I think that, you know, incorporating into real plays or even providing a whole separate streaming experience, stream channel where you can see this is going to be great. Um, immersive virtual reality, you know, we made fun of them in I think our first episode and every week they've come back to make us regret it, Sliver TV with virtual reality. Um, they allow you to experience esports in uh, virtual reality. They have a partnership with ESL. Locking down E-League is another great move for Sliver. They raised $9.8 million, I think, earlier this month or in August. You know, great use of the money, great partnership to grow their brand. Um, Advanced Analytics, I believe the partnership for this is with uh, Dojo Madness. Yes. So what's interesting about this is that E-League is a direct competitor to ESL. Dojo Madness is, I believe, sponsored by BitCraft, which is uh, run by Jens Hilger, who's the founder of ESL. So a little conflict of interest there. Well, he sold the stake, right? So he sold the stake, but I think he, st- he I don't know. I'm not 100% sure what his involvement with ESL is, but it's interesting to see something that came sort of out of ESL to be, spon- to be working with one of their competitors. Uh, but you know, you see heat maps, smoke map, map, maps, path maps. We've seen some of this in Dota 2. We've seen some of this previously in Counter Strike. Um, I got a couple of friends working over at Dojo Madness. Says, you know, more data is better than less data. Um, if they can incorporate this into, you know, uh, a sh- some shoulder content, I think it's going to be a great win for Ely. Yeah, and I can just talk about uh, being a being a fan, not knowing too much about the production side, but. This adds tremendous value to me as a viewer. Um, I'm not the biggest Counter-Strike fan, but I always like going to going to Counter-Strike events, albeit ESL 1. So will you, I think, Anton. Yep. Um, and one of the things I like is ways to simplify the action. And I think that, you know, the Toby's work with the eye tracking is perfect for that. I can kind of understand where the player is looking and hopefully 
look where he is looking and then see like oh there's someone there like now i understand well what he, what he is doing or she is doing and um or even having these advanced analytics uh, especially combined with um, with casters that know what they're doing and if you can say you know richard lewis who is who is the caster of of the e-league is probably one of the best in the business uh, especially when it comes to breaking down these type of things in understandable bite-sized information um, that makes it easier for the casual fan to understand and, and combine that with advanced analytics where you can show like oh if they go to this area you know, this happens and it can make the experience so much better and it can help draw a more um, mainstream audience relatively to e-league which for e-league is perfect because being on cable television that's exactly their bread and butter yeah, and I think it also creates a lot of surface area to attach sponsors with. You know, it's like when these brands come around, they're like, okay, what am I going to get that's special? And it's like, you know, the Toby Vision provided by Snickers. I think right now the sponsor attached to it is Alienware, so I think it's a great value add for Alienware. I think, you know, these advanced analytics and virtual reality, it does create a lot of surface area. You know, the virtual reality broadcast of E-League brought to you by Snickers. You know, as that virtual reality install base grows, all of a sudden, sudden that uh, vertical becomes much more valuable. Yeah, and E-League also, I think they understand that right now they have that, that traditional TV money. They get those ridiculously overpriced ad, ad, ads, ad slots. And I also think that they understand that five, six years from now, they probably don't have that opportunity. You know, traditional TV is not going to have that viewership and they need to find different ways to make them stand out. And yeah. these are and these are these are just great, great ways to make you stand out, be on the forefront of innovation. Yeah, and I mean we're talking about like Sliver getting nine point eight, we're kinda of like, oh my god, that's so much money. It's like, you know, to produce an episode of a half hour or twenty minute TV show for Turner, that's like five million dollars. You know, for two at the cost of two episodes, you get a virtual reality stream that has the potential to scale up into something massive, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Um, yeah, so really in support of all these moves, love them if they execute massive props to Ely. Um, so I think another story that, we, that popped up today was that Blizzard opens up a Los Angeles arena. Mo, I'll let you take that one. Yeah, so um, what is really interesting is Blizzard finally announced something that we all were waiting for. They now have their own base. So this actually is a former Tonight Show studio. So it's been it's been there for about 30 years. I think it's called like Burbank Studios. Um, they didn't buy it; they leased it. Uh, so that you know, obviously, it's interesting to see how much you, how many years have they leased it? Um, is it a couple year plan, and are they hoping to move into something bigger? Um, probably. Um, what's interesting to see is that. Right away, starting October, events will be held there. So the Overwatch Contender Playoffs will be October 7 and 8. October 13, they will have the Hearthstone Summer Championships. Um, and then the Hearthstone World Championships later on. Um, tickets, There will be tickets sold. It isn't a free-to-watch event, which obviously is an extra revenue stream. But then, obviously, most importantly, when the Overwatch League launches this year, the Blizzard Arena will be the home for the first season. So the first season, like like has been reported before and we talked about, will be, in, uh, will be in Los Angeles, and now they have their home. Yeah, so I think there's a couple like logistical wins. I mean, I'm definitely excited for this uh, space. 
Uh, I actually used to live right down the street from where the, the venue is. There's a lot of good uh, places to eat. Uh, Warner Brothers lot is right across the street. So the guys who run, who run eSports for Injustice, when they look out their windows, they're going to be seeing the Blizzard Arena. I think that's a little funny. Um, I think that in terms of building their own arena, they had the MLG team advising them. Um, you know, those guys have operated an arena in Columbus, Ohio. They know what works, what doesn't. You know, I expect a lot of great moves in that direction. Um, I think selling merchandise is great. Blizzard has, you know, developed strong brands that they can monetize in different ways. I think it's also awesome that the Burbank airport is, you know, maybe 10 minutes away. Um, one of the pains of Los Angeles is flying to LAX. It's an awful airport. If you need to go somewhere, you're sitting in like two hours of traffic, depending on what time you fly in. Um, flying into Burbank is just makes the whole experience so much easier. I think you have a lot of esports talent in Burbank already. You have the NGE Studios, you have ESL, you have Machinima. Um, you know, there's a ton of space. So it's like, you know, if you want to produce the best in class broadcast, you know, the talent is already all there. Um, I think that that set is pretty large. I'm trying to remember when I drove by it. I mean, it was several blocks. Um, you know, if Blizzard is building it out, I expect it to be awesome. Oh yeah, I think it's going to be really great. MLG is known, like you said. They're from what I've heard, I've never been. Their studio in Columbus is beautiful. It really does. It really does esports justice. Um, what I also think is don't think that this stadium will only be used for a couple events. This will be used throughout the week to create content. Um, the set, they, they will need to create shoulder content surrounding, um, surrounding their events and having a physical location in Burbank that can easily be converted into, that can easily change up the set to create some other content obviously is really important. Yeah, no, I think it was maybe two or three years ago where Activision came out and they said, like, we're going to become a media company as well. So you saw them do some work with the Warcraft movie. I think that they, you know, this is them executing on that. Um, so, you know, I'm excited that they're building it. I'm trying to think of what the potential downsides of this are, what the scary parts are. Um, well, one of the things is I don't know how much seats they're going to be in there. Um, let's say there'll be a couple hundred, uh, which I think it will be. Um, they'll probably be able to fill that up. Maybe not. Uh, if you have events every week, that's obviously a downside. It's a large investment. You have to justify it. I think a large part of this success of this arena stands on the success of the Overwatch League. Yeah. Because that's going to be their weekly, their weekly revenue stream. Um, so if the Overwatch League does well, kudos to them. They're going to have a filled up arena. If not, yeah. big downside. Yeah, I think that... No, I'm not really too scared about that, to be honest. I feel that you know they have expectations for Overwatch. I don't think that they're expecting you know to sell out the arena every single time. Um, and, you know, it's like if they have a crowd, they'll show the crowd. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited for this. I think that... If I had planned the Overwatch League, I would have probably done it in this exact way. It's like, you you got to base it out of L.A. If you're basing it out of L.A., you probably want to produce it in Burbank. You don't want to produce it on the west side. Um, you have a great airport, so when you're flying in all these teams, you know, there's going to be a lot less stress. Um, you know, you... Yeah, no, I think, I think it's a great move overall. I think the space is great. I think the area is great. I think the team that's operating it is great. I'm um, super excited for this. I just one, just one pet peeve thing. I think we should call a couple hundred seats 
you know, theaters or whatever, studios, we shouldn't call them arenas. Come on. Yeah, no, I think arenas are just, it's a current buzzword in esports, so any, any theater that you open up, you're going to call an arena. I mean, I, I used to go, I had season tickets for Amsterdam, Ajax Amsterdam, which has an, a real arena, it's called the Amsterdam Arena with about forty to 50,000 seats, and this will probably, probably won't have more than a thousand and uh, it's more of a it's more of a studio. They could just call it the you know the Los An- like the their Los Angeles studio. I mean, you're, you're you're basically trying to stay on brand with esports. You know, yeah. esports is done in arenas. Sports are done in arenas. So yeah. I, I get it. You know, it's not ideal. And so pivoting into our last story, we're going to get into greater depth in this next week. But Maestro just received a three million dollar investment. Um, to build out their networks. Uh, Mo, I think you understand the product a little better than I do. Do you want to speak to it? Yeah, so um, hopefully we can get more in depth uh, on this next week, but I'll give some idea to what I have. So I didn't know a lot about Maestro until three, four weeks ago. First, when I had a conversation with Matt Kaliski, who is a VC who focuses on esports at Rubicon, who's one of their investors, and he told me, I'm so excited about this project. And then at XLifeCon, actually, Ari, the CEO of uh, Maestro, uh, gave a um, presentation which opened up my, my eyes to what it is. So it's kind of a white label product for stream streamers. So that can be anything from corporations streaming, you know, to millions of people, uh, festivals, uh, but also an individual streamer. Although I think it is mainly focused at large scale streams, um, and it's a way to to basically monetize better. So a perfect example, one from a festival side, the other one from a from an esports uh, side is, from a festival side, I think they did Coachella at some point. And um, it was a, one of the things that Coachella ended up not doing, but they, uh, they had it in their ability, was to say, okay, if we see that, let's say, Chance the Rapper is performing, we can right away put a buy now link on the screen to Chance the Rapper's merch, they click it and right away we can if we can convert one percent of the of the audience to buy a shirt like that you have a chunk of money coming in. Um, another example it can obviously be advertisers and it's a way to advertise, um, but also it is perfect for esports tournaments. Why? Because kind of what we mentioned with Twitch extensions, but this is kind of this goes a little bit more in depth. Is um, one of their partners is EA. So when they had the Madden NFL Classic, they were able to see, uh, or they will be able to see, whether or not the person uh, watching the stream actually owns Madden. So they're able to put like a buy now link to Madden, for, uh, and, and then they can buy it, and obviously um, EA will get extra profits from that. So this is perfect, because if you're watching a game and you don't know uh, whether you want to whether you play it or not. If if Maestro is able to to know that, and is able to put just a, a quick pop up, it's a great way of getting extra revenue. One downside I think is Twitch extensions. Um, I think I think Maestro does a lot more than just what I said, and that's why I think uh, we'll have to go more in depth in it next week after we've done some some good research, and maybe we can get Matt on as well. Um, but Twitch extension seems like it's trying to do the same thing in a lesser way. And while I think big corporations will still prefer Maestro, I think the individual streamer with a large audience um, will think Twitch extensions are enough. What do you think, Anton? Yeah, I think that the fact that they're targeting enterprise 
uh, enterprises as opposed to individuals speaks to their strategy. Um, you know, I, I think ESL uses them right now. I've seen their product in action. Speaking to brands, you know, who are investing in this space, you know, one of their biggest questions is, you know, what is my ROI? Um, I think Maestro seeks to answer that question, which I think is um, great. I think that right now what you're seeing is a lot of, um, you know, enterprise level organizations pivot their content so they're less dependent on Twitch. So you're seeing ESL try and promote it through their own landing page. You're seeing MLG or Activision purchase MLG and have their own stream player. Um, you're seeing uh, content being distributed on platforms like Facebook, content being distributed on platforms like Smashcast or um, I'm trying to think of other ones. And so Maestro seeks to complement all of these. Um, it's a good space to be in. Um, you know, whether or not they'll succeed is, you know, I'm 50-50 on it. There's definitely a need for somebody like them. I just feel that, you know, they're like a little sailboat being buffeted around in an ocean with waves that are beyond their control. Um, so that's a, that's a little scary for me from my Astro's perspective. Well, one of the big, big positives about Maestro is that it's a wide label solution. So especially if you're a big corporation, you are hesitant to use Twitch extensions. Yeah. You don't, even if it's, you know, you're limited to using Amazon. Um, you might have your own your own selling platform. Now with this, um, you're able to sell direct to consumer and you don't have to give a middleman a cut. No, it, yes. I mean, it, it's, you know, as a B2B sales item, it's, there's definitely a need for it. Um, I'm just so curious about, you know, defensively what these platforms can do. Like it's, I mean, you saw what happened earlier this week where Facebook had more 18 to 34-year-olds reported than live in the United States. Yeah. So it's kind of like when these guys are holding their data so close and their data is being, you know, so closely audited um, or so close and so highly demanded, whether it's in their best interest to support something like Maestro in any way. So it's just like Maestro basically line themselves up to be in conflict with every major business, internet business, from Google to Amazon to Facebook. Yes, but also on the same time, as as companies, as you said before, are trying to move away from these particular companies as their sole content distribution platform when it comes to live streaming, I'm sure that uh, Riot, who has their deal with Bamtech, is going to look at, you know, there's probably not going to be a price point behind it, a price barrier, but they're going to look to have their own streaming platform and going to promote that heavily. For them, having something like Maestro is perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when you look at something like Maestro, it's like, you know, what's the cost of using their software versus what's the cost of building it? And um, yeah, no, I'm curious. And it's like, what's the cost of, you know, have, giving access to their data to Maestro? Um, you know, it's an interesting place to be in. I definitely think that there's a need for some, like a third party to do this. I think that my, I trust Maestro more than I trust Nielsen to do this well. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's just such a, like it can swing either, it's in, it can swing in so many di different directions based on so many different variables that, you know, this feels like a high risk, high reward type of investment. I definitely think that this is an investment that can go sideways in a bunch of different ways or vertical or straight up depending on a bunch of different variables so it's kind of a wait and see for me um, so before we close out the show we usually like to talk about some things that we found or we're reading that we're really enjoying uh, Mo what are you enjoying right now so there's this book I'm reading I'm reading it on my commute every day to Midtown and um, I might have mentioned it before once but I, I think it's just incredible 
Um, it's this book called Korea's Online Gaming Empire by Dal Jong-jin, who is a media studies scholar from Korea. And it really talks about how, how this country, Korea, has built up to become this huge gaming empire in general. And I think about half the book talks about um, pros players uh, and esports in general. Um, and I think it's 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 a must read for anyone that wants to learn more about the history of esports, but also how how Korea came to where it is right now. And I won't spoil a lot. It definitely has some unique approaches at some point. I think the um, the writer is heavily influenced by Marxist philosophy. He says that with, with his, he uses that things like commodification, which obviously tries to take a little bit away from the story. But if you just, if you just ignore that, if, you, if, you, if that's not something you like, um, it is definitely worthwhile. And it's an incredible history lesson. And it can teach you so much of how the US and, and Europe can can possibly get to that same point. Absolutely. Like, you know, Korea was miles ahead of us in terms of, you know, from everything from infrastructure, high-speed internet, to organization with KESPA, to, you know, developing personalities like Lin Hong Wong with Boxer. I mean, it's, yeah, they, I, they're still kind of at the forefront of uh, the space. One of the crazy things that I just read, it's like a little statistic, I tweeted it out, is in 2009, and actually, um, I got corrected, actually, it was probably earlier in 2006 already, so there was this one uh, famous gamer, StarCraft player, I'm blanking on his name. Yes. Boxer. Yeah, so... Oh, that's awesome. So he, I, I think I remember it from poker days as well, so he actually had about uh, 500,000 followers um, and fans. And Big Bang, which is the biggest boy band group in Asia, especially in that time, had less. Yeah, no, I mean, he was, he was popular. I think that my favorite right now is that they're doing, um, he's an occasional guest on the Korean version of SNL, which is, like, hilarious, by the way. And they do, like, esports clips where it's Lim Hwan and Yellow. And they're, uh, like, like it's, it, it's tongue-in-cheek humor with esports that's done really well. Like, so just check, check that out, too. I'll, I'll put a link in the description. Those segments are always great. How about you, Anton? What are you reading? So I have just finished maybe a week ago this great book called Machine Platform Crowd, Harnessing Our Digital Future. Um, it's a book by Andrew McAfee and Eric Brynjolfsson. I'm probably butchering his name. They wrote a New York Times bestseller maybe a week or two, uh, two years ago called um, this, uh, The Second Machine Age, and this is kind of like a follow-up. And they basically talk about what machine learning, what platform-style businesses, and what crowdsourcing are going to do to the economy. Um, esports is kind of like, you know, on the edges of the traditional economy, so we experience everything that they're, we're experiencing everything that they're describing right now. Um, and it's a great way to basically just, you know, bundle up all this knowledge and make everything that, we're, that you're seeing implicit into explicit knowledge. Um, great book, great read, you know, great stories in there. Um, I think esports actually gets mentioned maybe a half a dozen times. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Well, that's awesome. Cool. So I think this is going to wrap up our show. Guys, please subscribe. Thank you for listening. Uh, Mo, where can people find you? Well, I finally changed my Twitter username. Uh, it's now just M-R-E. It's M-R-I-Z-E-M-A-N. So M-R-E-I-S-E-N-M-A-N-N. How about you, Anton? And you guys can find me on Twitter at Joker Can't Spell. Uh, follow me, listen to my ramblings, and thank you guys so much for tuning in.